Maybe you're a Gilmore Girls fan, and if you aren't, I don't blame you. The hit TV show centers on the life of a mom and her daughter in small-town Connecticut. And like in a lot of small New England towns, there are these things called town meetings. Grandfathering in previously proposed statutes with no procedural delay. People get together, talk about the local issues, vote on them. Say aye. All those opposed? People, what's going on? People! Oh, sorry, Taylor. So is that what town meeting is like in New Hampshire? No, that is, I think, a very sort of comical representation of really a very serious and important event in a town where, you know, the voters have this opportunity to be part of the process. In conjunction with the Board of Selectmen, and then with information provided to the budget committee. If you want a hotel or rooming house, I'm not sure. I, I didn't think that's what we wanted. Welcome to Civics 101 New Hampshire. Today on the show, Daniela Ali peels back some of the layers of this venerated New Hampshire institution, town meeting. How did it start? How does it work? And in today's era, how are people participating in their communities? So it's interesting because people usually think of town meeting as this very democratic institution. You know, town meetings are direct democracy. The people make the decisions, y'all. You and your neighbors in a school gym voting on the budget and other town ordinances. In fact, in New Hampshire, the law says that at these meetings, citizens are the legislators. But its origins are actually theocratic, meaning uh, a rule by a religion or a religious group. That's Trisha Peon. She's a New Hampshire historian and program manager at New Hampshire Humanities. Remember the Puritans? They were the folks who left England in search of religious freedom, eventually colonized Massachusetts and made their way up to New Hampshire. The point of it was to have a group of Congregationalists, so that's the Puritan church, so the members of the congregation, people who are in good spiritual standing with the church, making all of the decisions for the community. In the Church of England, decisions were made only by the hierarchy of bishops and priests under the king. And the Puritans wanted something radical. They wanted a say in how their church worked. That was the main reason why they had sailed all the way to the New World. Once they made it across the Atlantic, it wasn't exactly a utopia of equality. The decision makers in the Puritan church were men, only men, land-owning men. So they take that church model, the congregational church model of of church government, and they apply that to town government. These land-owning men would get together pretty frequently to make decisions for the town around how to divide up the land, how much to pay in taxes to the church to support the minister. And back in the 17th century, who to allow into the town? Because they would want to know. Is this person someone who regularly attends church? Are they in good spiritual standing? Are they cool like us? And some of the positions we have today in New Hampshire, like the select board or the executive branch of a town, go all the way back to the 17th century. The highest ranking people in the town, um, people with the most most wealth and status, would likely be the selectmen. There were other jobs besides the selectmen that people ran for. You know, like the hog reeve and like the, the guy who has to check every fence in the town. Um, there's position, there, some towns would have a position where someone was required to um, just, you know, basically catch all the animals that got loose and that person would be elected every year. Dumbarton still has this position and former Governor Johnson Sununu held it back in 2007. 
Town meeting has evolved since then. It became more democratic as other groups were allowed to participate, slowly. White men without property, women after 1920, people of color. Back in the 17th and 18th centuries, enslaved people would hold their own form of town meeting, electing black kings or governors for their own community on the same day all the white men had their elections. And nowadays, it's not just when the good old church boys want to get together that a town meeting happens. To start, town meeting is once a year. It's been that way since the 19th century. And to make sure it all happens, you need a town moderator, a select board, warrant articles, a spot for the registered voters in the town to get together. Usually that happens in a school gym. We have a bunch of things to go through today. And not least of which, the first 10 articles will be strictly voted on by ballot. This is from a live stream of Kingston, New Hampshire's deliberative session of their town meeting a few weeks ago. At the back of the gym, there's this long table and a projector screen in the background. Sitting around the table are men and women, mostly middle-aged. A couple of guys are sporting Patriots jerseys. And one woman commands the room's attention. She is the town moderator. This is the elected official in charge of the town's election process. Their role on town meeting day, manage the meeting, set the rules for the session, for example, how long a voter gets to speak, and even diffusing any tense moments. We remind people at the beginning of the meeting that we are neighbors, we will be neighbors tomorrow. This is Harold Bragg, town moderator of Kensington, New Hampshire. He's been in that role for about nine years and town government for about 40. Like the Kingston town moderator, Harold reads each warrant article to the voters. These warrant articles are the agenda for town meeting. The warrant, the reason it's called a warrant, is because it is actually supposed to be a warning to the voters of the subject matter that's going to be discussed and deliberated and ultimately voted on at the town meeting. That's Margaret Burns again, director of the New Hampshire Municipal Association. There are two ways you can get something on the agenda. The select board, which again is the executive arm of town government, decides what will be a warrant article, say buying a new fire truck. But the other way that articles get on the warrant is through petitioned warrant articles. And in fact, the voters have the ability to garner a certain number of, of signatures and to require an article to be placed on the warrant, one that the selectmen may or may not be, you know, in favor of. Before town meeting, Harold gets together with Kensington's select board to talk about the warrant articles. Um, I always ask them if they feel, based on their meetings, if anything that they're proposing is contentious. Town moderators can choose to go to annual workshops put on by the New Hampshire Municipal Association. And we're also sort of um, providing general guidance on good practices with regulating town meeting, rules of procedure, sort of things they have to anticipate or be ready for at town meeting, because that's a big part of it for a moderator, you know, being ready, you know, expect the unexpected. Town meeting is a public forum. The people speak their minds about the issues at hand, zoning ordinances, noise ordinances, creating a town heritage commission. The other areas that uh, I spend some time on in the training programs is dealing with the First Amendment. This is Stephen Buckley, Legal Services Counsel at the New Hampshire Municipal Association. Because the First Amendment applies to town meeting. How does town meeting cope with those who wish to express their views? They could be voters or non-voters. Uh, can they wear t-shirts expressing an opinion on a particular article? Yes, they can. Uh, can they hand out flyers? Yes. And, and what is the relationship between those who are attending who are non-residents? 
The moderator does place some rules on what folks can say, especially when it comes to speech that might disrupt the meeting. Someone saying the same thing over and over again, or threatening folks with physical violence. Both of those are big no's. It's a balancing act for moderators. Let everyone have a fair chance to speak their mind and get through all of the warrant articles. The central tenet of town meeting is that the voters are the legislators in their town. And that legislating power comes in the form of amendments. So someone can propose a change to a warrant article. Let's say there's an article that says, are you in favor of allotting $200,000 for road reconstruction? The debate goes on at the meeting, and there are people who say, I don't think that we ought to be spending that kind of money on the roads. And there are those who say, I think we should be spending more money on the roads. Let's say the person who doesn't want to spend the money on the roads, like really, really does not want to spend this money, gets up, waits their turn in line to talk, and says, I am proposing an amendment that the Warren article read that the town, are you in favor of spending zero dollars for road reconstruction in the community? Someone seconds the amendment proposed by Mr. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then the amendment goes to a vote. If the room supports it, then the amount is zero. And that's the final version of a warrant article that's voted on. Again, it's the New Hampshire tradition of the people have the last word. While this form of local governing has been lauded as the lifeblood of civic participation in New England, that this is what democracy is all about, Participation in town meeting actually started to decline by the end of the 20th century. Because traditional town meeting is a long affair, sometimes going on until midnight on a weeknight or for most of a Saturday. The warrant articles are read, people debate, propose amendments to those articles, and on that same day, vote. People are leading busier lives, and they're less inclined, perhaps, to do these kind of things that build in their relationship with their community. Because you go to a town meeting, you're going to get to know your neighbors, you're going to get to know what's going on in your town, and you can feel a part of what's going on in your community when you do that kind of thing. On the other hand, some towns were also growing a lot, and not everyone could fit into the school gym. So in 1995, the New Hampshire legislature decided there could be another form of town meeting. It would split up the two major parts of town meeting, the debating or deliberation and the voting, to two different days. This is a Senate Bill 2 model, or for shorthand, SB2. The deliberative session takes place about three weeks before ballots are cast. About 72 of New Hampshire towns use the two-day model. Other New Hampshire towns either follow the traditional town meeting structure, everything happens on one day, or have gone to a town council format, which means those towns don't have a town meeting. Instead, there are elected town representatives who make the decisions, which is sort of like a city council. Some say even with this new format, the turnout at the deliberative session is still pretty low, and that can lend itself to interest groups in town getting more of a say than other folks. There are always going to be interest groups, and those interest groups will drive the uh, people who are connected to that group to come to the town meeting. So if you're a strong supporter of the library, you're going to come out and support the library budget. Some towns have a great deal of social capital. Which means? Where there's a lot of interaction, there's a lot of participation, there's a lot of contact with the schools and committees and organizations in the town. So it's town by town. 
The town and the townspeople are not all powerful, and they've never existed in a vacuum. Each town meeting really had its own its authority from the colonial legislature. So in New Hampshire, it's the General Assembly. This is historian Trisha Peon again. So the towns had to share some power with the General Assembly. Those lawmakers would give towns instructions. Towns were also very jealous of their rights. Uh, they guarded them very carefully. So towns would would actually rise up against, you know, the royal royal authority or against the state authority or the, co- the colonial authority of the assemblies anytime they felt like their rights were being usurped. That tension between towns and the man still exists today. And while towns have control over a lot of what happens within their town boundaries... We're a state where towns can only enact ordinances or laws that relate to very specific subjects. This is Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis at Citizens Count, a nonpartisan nonprofit group. And here's the law that spells out what's under a town's control. Chapter 31, Powers and Duties of Towns. So this has a list of things that they are allowed to to operate. So noise regulations, uh, the observance of Memorial Day, regulation of the use of mufflers upon boats and vessels, fires, you know, kindling when people can use fires, operations of vehicles on different roads. So, for example, you know, you know, you can't go certain speed limits or you can't drive here or what have you. All that to say, towns have to look to state law to give them the authority to do things. Other states have something called home rule, where towns are given a direct grant of power to govern themselves. But in New Hampshire, there is no home rule. It isn't a free-for-all. Here's Margaret Burns again. Even a town meeting, even that local democracy, they can only pass uh, bylaws and ordinances and other things that state law says a town can pass. So things like zoning ordinances, noise ordinances, the town budget and school budget, raising local taxes, salaries for town employees, and voting for local officials like the town clerk or town moderator, the select board. A few things towns can't do. They can't impose term limits, endorse smoking regulations that are stricter than state law, or implement rent control. And remember how Margaret basically said that these meetings are no laughing matter? Here is the perfect example of how dead serious citizens take them. Millions of people are bracing and they are bundling up as the third nor'easter in two weeks pummels the northeast. Right now, Boston really getting the brunt of the In 2018, when a nor'easter hit, some folks cross-country skied to cast their ballots. 2017 also saw a huge snowstorm. And that year, while some folks braved the weather, about 70 towns decided to postpone the town election. That led to the question, do towns have the power to reschedule town meetings? The Secretary of State, who's in charge of elections, said no, towns don't have that power. The whole issue is ongoing and still unresolved. And at this point, most folks are crossing their fingers for good weather this year. Some of this might sound intimidating, and Margaret says that's one reason people give for not going to the deliberative session. But towns usually put out voter guides on their websites, breaking down what's on the warrant. And the warrant's also available online. Here's Stephen Buckley's suggestion. Get the town report and read it. Every town must publish, which has a wealth of information, financial data, reports from every board and commission, uh, all kinds of information from the town clerk and, and statistics that, that is invaluable. Yes, Mrs. Hart. Please come to the microphone. Folks know that 
The fire department has been working on this. Has uh, been sponsoring Warren articles. The good news uh, is it's under control. It's nothing compared to what a takeover would be like. It's a lot of work to do this. We understand that setting up the procedures and our policies is going to be a huge amount of work. At their heart, town meetings allow average non-elected folks, like you and me, to make decisions that shape the laws we follow, just like the Puritans wanted, and as memorialized in the Gilmore Girls' comical representations of town meetings. It's not good, right? All right, everybody who agrees that we would not feel good about that, say aye. Aye! Meeting adjourned. Good night. Another fun one! Civics 101 New Hampshire is produced by me, Daniela Ali, along with Jackie Helper and Ben Henry. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is director of Puritan Hat and Shoemaking. We're funded in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and we're coming to you from the studios of New Hampshire Public Radio.